We'd really appreciate that. So this week, um, it's been an interesting week for me and my family. Uh, one fun thing that we got to do is I got to go see Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary. And I, I broke my strict I don't watch documentaries rule to go see because I don't. This is like the second documentary I've ever seen. But I loved Mr. Rogers. I wanted to see it. And I knew it wasn't going to be utterly depressing like most documentaries are. It was amazing. It was a great, great flick, great film. Not going to spoil it for you. Um, although you can pretty much see the whole film on different YouTube segments online. Because um, <laughs> that's what it felt like. I'm like, oh, I've seen that before. Oh, I've seen that. But they strung it together really well. Um, there's... Watching it reminded me of one of my favorite aspects of Mr. Rogers. And it, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but he seems or seemed to be completely at peace with waiting. He never, he just felt like a very unhurried soul. Uh, whenever he was interacting with, with children on his show, uh, some of the illustrations and such on his show, like I remember one time uh, he asked, how long do you think a minute is? And he proceeded to get an egg timer out and set it for a minute on national television and just sat there in silence while the egg timer counted down for a minute. And I was just like, man, that guy is just totally fine waiting and he's just in no hurry to entertain uh, or to rush into the next moment. And he was famous for these different commencement speeches he would give or at award speeches. He would pause, again, on network television oftentimes for like 10 or 15 seconds of silence for people to think about someone that had encouraged them or, or loved them in their path towards um, their career or their success. And I just, that dumbfounded me. I never, I've never seen anybody like him before. And this, this guy that was, just always seemed so patient and unhurried because I can't, I, I want that. It's something that doesn't come naturally to me. In, my, in, in, in all of his interactions. Um, and the thing was, you know, you, you learn this if you do any kind of research on Fred Rogers, is he was a visionary. He wasn't someone that settled for the status quo. He was pushing boundaries of entertainment and child psychology and children's learning um, and just constantly running countercultural and breaking new ground. So he was not someone that was just happy with the, with the status quo. He wanted to break ground. He just did it in a really unhurried and impatient way. Um, and we talk about, in our discipleship battles, we talk about these moments called kairos moments, where we feel like uh, these are moments in time where God speaks to us. So the kairos is, the, is a Greek word that describes the way we define it as a moment when God is speaking to you. There's another way, there's another word that describes time, and it's chronos, and, and that's another Greek word, and that is chronological time, which is how we have a tendency to think uh, but that's not how God thinks because God is timeless. He created time. He is in no hurry. He has no reason to be in any hurry because he knows he's going to have an eternal relationship with each and every one of us. He's like, I'm with you always forever. Like, there's no rush. He doesn't operate by our calendar and our rules of time. And I think it's hard for us to grasp uh, living in an unhurried, patient manner upon God and what he's trying to do in our life or what he's trying to do in humanity. And that's why Mr. Rogers fascinated me, is that I feel like he kind of had that figured out. Um, I feel like people that, that I've spent time, you know, different times with um, uh, senior citizens or, or, or people who have retired or who have lived what I would call a fruitful 
or holy or successful life. And they've come to some realizations that I have yet to realize. And one of them I noticed in my grandparents who were missionaries and they lived all over the world. And I grew up on these stories of some of their escapades, some of these crazy situations or missions they got themselves into. And around them later in life, after they had retired, um, I was amazed at their, they had the same like Mr. Rogers vibe, like this unhurried, peaceful state. And I know it wasn't because they were, again, satisfied with the status quo. They were visionaries. They were groundbreaking personalities. But they lived this slow, unhurried, deliberate pace. Um, you know, whether it was me watching them in the morning uh, when I would spend the night at their house, they would do devotionals together every morning. They would read their scripture out loud. They would sing together. They would have, they would sit in silent prayer. And as a kid, I'm like, whoa, like this was, you know, like sitting still. It was like my own personal episode of Mr. Rogers every morning. And I remember I'd actually ask my grandpa to tie my shoes and to comb my hair, even though I knew how to do both, because I was fascinated with how slow and deliberate he was at doing it and how neat it was. I'm like, how are you that patient? As a kid, watching him do that actually calmed me and slowed me down. And so that's a little taste of what God is trying to do in our lives. He's trying to slow us down and, um, in a way that we find peace in those moments, in those unhurried, waiting upon God, being comfortable, waiting upon receiving what he might have to say to us in those kairos moments of when he wants to do something. In our discipleship puddles, there's a, a shape that we use to describe this whole process. We call it the square. The square has four sides. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. <laughs> we label each side of the square D1, D2, D3, D4. D standing for discipleship or disciple. I'm going to talk about just D1 and D2 today. We're not going to go through the whole shape. So D1 is this moment or this season of life where you catch a vision, where you get a calling or you make a, a decision in response to some clarity, all right, and, and you move upon it. So in scripture, we see this, uh, there's many moments, but one, I'm going to focus on the disciples today, um, and I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. So this is when Jesus is calling Peter and Andrew. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. They left the family trade, the only thing they were familiar with, to follow this new calling, this new life vision, a dramatic move. So in life, think about your life. This could be when you're in undergrad and you figured out what you wanted to major in finally. I had like three before I figured out it was going to be English and you may have been the same. Like for the first two years, you're probably like, I have no idea why I'm here. Maybe it's just a party. And then I'm, then I'm going to learn something. But there's, a mo there's an aha moment where I'm like, okay, I'm going to major in this. Or maybe it's uh, you had a boyfriend or girlfriend and there was a moment where you decided, I want to marry this person. That's an aha moment. That's a big life decision. Or if it's following Jesus, maybe it was the moment you decided to do that or the, the, your baptism of fully committing your life to following Christ. It's a, you know, this D1 moment is a big visionary life-altering realization where something, a new path is going to start. D2, the excitement of this call or this decision or this career path or this lifestyle begins to wane. 
All right, it begins to slow down. Um, the excitement or the, the thrill you know, begins to wear off. And there's a shift in the feeling of life, in the feeling of the decision or the, or the call, the action you're, mo- you're making. And it's not necessarily a season that's marked with like doubt and despair, although that can be part of it. Um, really, it's just a season, season where you feel like maybe in a rut, stuck, bored, lack of clarity, um, you know, the gray, you know, you're just kind of foggy. Like, what's, what do I do next? Or how do I, how do I fix this area of tension that I'm experiencing? That's D2. Um, script, scripturally speaking, one could argue that once all the disciples started following Jesus, that those next three years of them following him were D2 for them. Like, they had no idea what they were doing. They were excited, like, yeah, okay, let's drop the nets, let's roll. I have absolutely no, no idea what I just got myself into. You see that throughout the Gospels. So I'm going to give you a few examples. So Matthew 16, one of the more famous D2 moments, I think. Um, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So Peter has this moment that is now recorded in all of human history, this D2 moment where he has complete lack of clarity and understanding about what Jesus's mission is, what God has called not only Peter to do, but humanity to do. And Peter spent every day of his life for three years around the God. God was skin on. He was closer to them, to him than any of us have ever been. And he still had three years of, I have no idea what's going on and where we're headed. Peter had that. Another D2 moment that involved all the disciples was in Luke chapter 9. Then his disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. And he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. So D2 has these moments where you're just not clear, you're not fully understanding the nature of life or the nature of God. It also has these moments of misplaced energy. These disciples arguing over who's the greatest, and Jesus is like, you are, complete, you are so far off. You're, you're, it, I'm going to do a complete 180 here because you're so far off of this. Your, your energy is being guided in the complete wrong direction. That's D2. You have these moments of misplaced energy. You've all had these at work. You ever have the, you you get hired, you look at your job description, and then six months, I don't know, three years into your your job, you're doing a bunch of stuff that you weren't hired to do because your boss just kept shoving stuff your way, and you're like, wait a second. You ever have those moments or those weeks, you're like, why am I doing this right now? This is not my job, and it's actually sucking the life out of you because it's misplaced energy. You're pouring energy into something that you either aren't called to do, you weren't hired to do, you're not good at it. You know, that kind of thing, that's D2. So you've got those moments where maybe, and it could be, you know, it's not necessarily work-related. Maybe it's family life. Maybe your family rhythm, you know, just feels a little weird, a little funky, a little off. Could be those tasks 
could be the ultimate form of misplaced energy, entertainment, right? Too much Netflix, too much podcasts, too much noise of, of listening to, you know, too much Twitter, whatever it may be. You know how many times I have typed out something to put on Twitter or Facebook and thought to myself, that's misplaced energy. Delete. I've deleted so many comments or posts on social media because it's like, no, that's misplaced energy. And I wish I had the maturity 10 years ago so I can recognize those moments. I'm recognizing them more and more, misplaced energy. But whatever it is, when you recognize that you have misplaced energy, it is a signal that God is doing something. It's a, it's a D2 moment. And then perhaps there's the most famous D2 moment prior to Jesus' death. It's the famous bread of life speech in John chapter 6. So if you haven't read this, in John 5, I think John 4, 5, and 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, a huge miracle. Then he walks on water. I mean, people are like, you talk about a visionary moment, a life-altering moment for these 15, 20,000 people that saw this. This is going to change their life. Then he gives this speech in John 6 that freaks some of them out. Some of them are like, this guy's nuts. What's he talking about? I don't get it. I'm not going to read the whole speech, but you should read John 6 because it's powerful. It's deep. It's mysterious. What I do want to read is how they responded to this speech in John 6, verses 60 through 69. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you don't believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. And then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve, and he asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Peter's starting to get it. People left. They deserted him. D2. They had a lack of clarity, a lack of understanding of what he was talking about, so they quit. They're out. Don't get what this guy's doing. They left because they didn't understand. We're going to have seasons in our life with God, in life, with others, in our marriages, our friendships, at work, in our church, where we don't understand what's going on. It's just part of it. These seasons can be short or they can be long. Uh, Again, the disciples had it for three years. The Apostle Paul, who had a personal encounter with Christ, the risen Christ, ended up changing his life, starting churches. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, after doing all of these amazing things, he went into basically retreat and, and hiding for seven to ten years. He had been abused. He'd been beaten. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been snake bitten. He had, he had experienced unbelievable uh, trials in the midst of responding to this voice and to this vision, this calling that God laid on his life to the point of where he hid for seven to ten years. He was in D2 until Barnabas came and got him. And said, get, hey, you remember that, all that stuff that you thought was failing? It's working. And he dragged him out of the cave. D2 is a season that's filled with being unsure, with not understanding, not knowing if what you've done is working. 
and then also what the next step's going to be. And again, it's not necessarily these feelings of despair and hopelessness. It can just be like, I don't know what to do. I'm bored. I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. I don't know which path to take. I don't have any clarity, any vision or understanding. So we see this throughout scripture. So to sum some of this up, again, if you want to know if you're in D2, you're going to notice a shift in your energy. Uh, you're no longer going to have the same zeal, passion, or energy level for your calling or your big decision. And you're going to start to realize maybe some of your energy has been misplaced. Apathy can even be part of it. Again, lack, the second thing is you know, lack of clarity or understanding. Things aren't bad. They just aren't real clear. You, have these, you might have these moments where you feel unqualified or incompetent in, in whatever you're trying to do. You're just unsure of the next step. And here's a critical part of D2 that we need to realize. Because we have a tendency to compartmentalize everything. We compartmentalize God, career, family, you know, all these different. We, we keep them all separate. But you, if you're experiencing D2, <clears throat> let's say at work, you're experiencing it there. You can't compartmentalize that to just work. If you're experiencing lack of clarity, um, misplaced energy in the workplace, I can promise you God is trying to tell you something about your entire life. It's not just your job. It involves everything because God sees everything. He does not compartmentalize. The Holy Spirit works in every second of the day and in every relationship and context that we live. So if we're experiencing D2 somewhere, it should affect everything in our life if we respond faithfully. So it's important to know Everything is connected. Um, If you're thinking, yeah, I got that going on right now, um, and you may may be thinking that. If you don't, you will at some point in your life. (laughs) You will figure out, I don't know what to do next or in this situation. Um, (laughs) Off the cuff, I was telling Phil this earlier at this wedding last night. This is a first for me. I've done like 20 weddings. Um, a bridesmaid last night that was having a good time on the dance floor aggressively grabbed me and pulled me close to dance as I was making my way to the couple to say goodnight. And for about two and a half seconds, I had no idea how to respond. (laughs) I was so uncomfortable. And my son is right next to me. And there's um, intimate dancing happening for about two and a half seconds. (laughs) I haven't even told Carrie this yet. Um, I haven't even talked to her. Um, But man, it was uncomfortable. Lack of clarity. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I like? Everything's processing really quickly. Like, what do I do? How do I get out of this? And finally, I was like, I got to go. Just kind of shoved this person away. (laughs) Got out of Dodge. Um, We're going to have those moments where we do not know what to do. Could be a moment, two and a half seconds, weird social interaction at a wedding it could be five years we don't know how, how what God is trying to do in our lives and how again he created time he doesn't operate by our calendar he knows I'm with you always to the very end of the age and I see everything and I know, and God also knows um, we can only handle so much change at a time you know we can't the, the, the purifying, the refining, the restoration that he wants to do in us, it's a long journey. And he knows there's only so much we can handle. And he knows the timing and how, how much to release. 
So if you haven't experienced it, you will. <clears throat> if you are experiencing it, the question we have to ask ourselves that I constantly ask myself is, okay, how do I receive this? How do I enjoy this season and live in this receptive, peaceful, unhurried, patient manner, awaiting upon God to speak or to reveal clarity and understanding? So two tips I would give. The first one is you have to have faith in the story that scripture shares. You can't, um, well, you just have to recognize that scripture reveals a lot about God. Everything we need to know about him is what the Bible does for us. It reveals uh, how Jesus speaks and, and the nature of God. So we, what we have when we experience these D2 moments, you have to realize you're in good company. You're in the company of Peter and Paul and Andrew and James and, and Mary and Martha and all these different people who have experienced the highs and the, and the lows of following God and what that looks like. It's like, oh, okay, I'm in good company. Other people have walked this path, and it's laid out for me here in this tradition and these stories that we have. Um, clarity, understanding, and the next step, it will ultimately be revealed. And you can't, uh, John, six it. You can't quit. You can't, like, I'm out. This is too weird, too mysterious. You can't just pack up and go home. And that's, unfortunately, um, that's our instincts a lot of the times. It's to just quit. It's to just stop. Um, a lot, I've seen a lot of people do that. In, in the church world, that's all I can kind of speak to right now, is this is what church hopping is. People, now, some people experience legitimate abuse, from others within a church, they should leave. Other people are like, I don't like that worship, I'm out. <laughs> or, you know, something the pastor said, like, that doesn't really happen in our church, but I've seen it. People just hop from one church to another. When things get uncomfortable, they move, they're out. Um, the second thing I would mention is, or first is you have, you gotta have faith in the story that scripture shares. Realize you're in good company. And the second is do what Jesus had the disciples doing. Those three years they were together. If you want to know how to be patient and unhurriedly wait upon God, do what the disciples did. And he built these natural rhythms that led to their understanding and their clarity and their energy being focused in the right way. Um, so a few of those common things that we see throughout Scripture. Uh, the sacred nature of the common meal. You know what activity was recorded more than any other activity in the Gospels that Jesus did? eating with people more than he did that more than anybody more than anything he ate meals and drank with people there's something there why did why was that the most recorded activity especially in the book of luke like a third of the book of luke is jesus having meals with people it's crazy like okay something's up and you want if you've been with restore for a while you're like i get it aaron you talk about it all the time we, we have to keep talking about it we have to understand the sacred nature of sharing a meal uh, in the presence of others, in the presence of Christ. It's, it's why the Gospels devote such a large chunk to noticing this activity. Salvation is always a companion with Jesus at the dinner table. It's, it's happening. Anytime you're eating, I, I mentioned that story with my son. I don't know, but I, I have a sneaking suspicion that he will remember last night for the rest of his life. And nothing crazy or big happened. It was just a common experience that we get to have together and I, and I felt it and I think he did too and salvation and clarity and understanding of the nature of God just it's a companion 
at the dinner table. So you need to regularly dine with Christians and intentionally make Jesus the focal point of the meal. The meal, the drinks, the dessert, they till the soil of our hearts and our minds. They bring down barriers of pride and privacy when you're sitting at the table with people, and they prepare the way for grace and truth to be shared. So you have to be intentional about recognizing the, the presence of Christ at a meal with other people. And then two more things he constantly did with his disciples. He regularly took breaks with them, like time off from ministry, and his disciples, he showed them how to rest. All right, we spent a lot of time on the nature and practice of rest and, and, and when we talk at Restore. You can go back and there's multiple sermons on Sabbath, on what it means to actually rest or how to rest. So I'm not going to go into it deeply here. And then the third thing he did constantly is he led them into prayer. Uh, He found moments to get them away from, from doing and moving and acting to just pray and to commune with God. And we're going to spend one Sunday this summer talking specifically about the topic of prayer. But again, this is something we've talked about a lot. You can go back and listen to other sermons on prayer um, on our website. But those are the three things. The common meal with Christians, uh, taking rests, Sabbath break, and then prayer. So with D2, don't run from it. Don't try to control it. Because if you're another thing I didn't mention is my natural instinct in moments of not understanding what's going on is I just start experimenting. I just start trying stuff. Like, okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try It's like fail, fail, fail. And then it just makes you feel even more, you know, incompetent. Like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. So don't try to control it. Like, live in an unhurried, patient, receiving spirit and see what will come. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the season. Create the spaces and opportunities for these holy meals, time off, prayer. And we're going to close today. We're going to channel some Mr. Rogers. We're going to Mr. Rogers this today. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I had someone do this with me once. Sit up. All right. So lean back in back of your chair. Put your hands on top of your legs. Let your shoulders kind of sit back and relax. And I want you to close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath through your mouth and then out your nose. And I want you to think about the answers that come to mind with these questions. Who do you want to share a holy meal with this week? Keep them closed and relaxed. Next question. Think of retreating and resting. What's something realistic that would put you totally at rest for a day or an afternoon? And the last question, what do you want to share with Christ in prayer this week? What do you want to hand over to him or invite him into? All right, I'm going to close this in prayer.